We're going to finish up our uh, Around the Table series today. Next week, we're going to be starting a new series that I'll be telling you about in the emails real soon. But uh, today, we're going to be wrapping up kind of our Around the Table series as we've been kind of looking at this idea of, of how often Jesus was around a table, how often he ministered around the table or talked around the table, and how we can take that and really apply it to our lives and look at kind of what Jesus would have us to do in those moments and how we've all been been invited to sit with the t- at the table with Jesus and, and, and really allow him to change us and form us and how we've all been, have a seat for us there. And we've been really in Luke 14. We're going to be in Luke 14 again as we kind of bring this series to a close. We're going to actually go back to uh, uh, the story that Jesus told kind of way back in the first couple of weeks when we looked at this and kind of focus in on something a little bit different. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Luke 14. Up on the screen, you'll see our, our text for this morning. So it is a little bit of a, a little bit of a long one, but uh, I think it'll kind of kind of give us an idea and the context of what we're going to be really focusing in on this morning. So if you have your Bibles again, Luke 14, starting with verse 16, here's what it says. Jesus replied with this story. Obviously, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus is actually at a table right now. He's having a meal with some Pharisees, and, and he begins to tell this story. He says, a man prepared a great feast. And sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I brought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you for this moment and this time. Father, I pray that in this short time that we have together, that God, that you would just allow my words to cease and that yours would just begin. Father, that you would just come and open our hearts to what you desire to share with us this morning from your word. That you would help us to understand some of the the, the mission and the calling that you've placed on each one of us as we look at this parable and look at this story and look at what you want us to do in reference to this table that you have brought us all to. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the, the themes that we've kind of talked about through this whole series is the fact that God has, has a place for you at the table, that God has come and, and has set out this beautiful spread and this beautiful feast. And, and not only are you invited, but you have a seat, you have a name tag, you have a place where God says, this is for you. And, and we have that invitation to come and sit and, and experience Jesus. And we talked about that really the first week. And then we began to talk about this concept of what Jesus wanted to do in us while we sit at the table and, and commitment and all these sort of things. Well, well, here's the thing that we need to understand as we look at this story. Jesus tells this parable and he begins to say, hey, all these people were invited and how great it was, but then they all start making excuses. 
And so the, basically the, the servant is told by the master, you go out and you just invite everybody. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're, they're blind or crippled or, or lame. And basically what that's telling us is he basically says, hey, listen, invite the broken people. Invite everybody. Don't just invite the people that you would think would be at the banquet. I want everyone there. And at verse 22, he says something very interesting. He says, he says uh, there's still room for more. There's still room for more. He invites them all, and there's still room for more. You know, typically we have this mentality at times where it's hard to go, is, is there room for more? We, we kind of, I don't know about you, but I don't like crowded places. You know, I don't, I don't like to kind of walk into to places and you're kind of like this. When I was in, in high school, um, my, my, the town that I grew up in was, was, was growing a lot at the time when I was, was in school. And so they were, they were like building elementary schools like crazy and junior highs like crazy and high schools like crazy. And the problem was, was because of my age, just the way it fell, every time they were opening up a new school, basically I was leaving. So like we did middle, we didn't do middle school, we did junior high, so it was seventh and eighth, okay? So my grade, my eighth grade group was the last in our school's history, our city's history, to be one group, one school. Because the next year, they broke into two middle schools. And the same thing happened in high school. We were the last senior class to be all combined and together. And so that means that we had a large class. Graduation took a long time, okay? But I remember being in hallways. And of course, you got a hallway here that's made for a certain amount of students, and we were way above that. And of course, they had lockers on either side. And I remember like the bell would ring and the doors would open. And I mean, it was just like a flood of, of you know, teenagers. And you sometimes, I mean, you were doing this. I mean, you could not really make it through. And I remember thinking at times, man, I'm glad we're like all combined class, but Boy, wouldn't it be nice to be at a new high school and be able to, I don't know, raise my arms out as I walk down the hallway? Sometimes when it gets crowded, it can get a little uncomfortable. It can get a little bit like, you know, I, I don't know about that. And we kind of we say, you know what, I got my seat at the table, but we kind of leave it there. Listen, you need to understand this very clearly this morning. And it's in your notes. Listen, if there is a seat for you at the table, there is a seat for others at the table. And you go, yeah, it's pretty simplistic. I know. But sometimes we miss that. We miss the fact, hey, if Jesus is saying, hey, Aaron, there's a seat for you, then that means that there's a seat for everybody else that I see. Even people that I might look at and go, oh, really? They, they get a seat at Jesus' table? And Jesus is like, yeah. You see, he's going, there's still room for more. And then in verse 23 of Luke 14, it goes one step further. And now we begin to see the heart of the father. Now we begin to see the heart of the master in the story. Look at with me, Luke 14, 23. It says, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. Now I want to stop here because this idea of compel in the Greek is really this idea of like, like almost twisting someone's arm. Okay, it's like, it's like urging them strongly. Okay, it's not, it's not like, so you, uh, you want to come to the feast? No. It's like, listen, the master has made a feast. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. You do not want to miss the feast. I don't care what you got going on. I don't care what plans you got because the feast is going to be better. Come on, let's go. You don't want to go? I don't care. Come on, I'm picking you up. We're going. 
That's what the Greek is saying here. And he says, compel them to come in. But here's the answer why. Here's why that compelling needs to be so important. So that my house will be full. Now, we're going to understand in just a minute the heart behind that. Because I think we miss sometimes the heart behind the Father when He wants His house to be full. But the thing that we need to understand right now is that God has a desire for a full house. He looks at, and He goes, you know what? There's room for more. You know, you heard this story, I don't know if you have, you know, where they talked to, I think it was um, somebody very rich, you know, I think probably Rockefeller or something like that. Maybe you heard this story. And, you know, he's, of course, a billionaire at the time and just crazy amount of money. And they, they asked him, you know, how much do you need? How much money do you really need? And his response was basically $1 more. You know, our, our father kind of has an interesting type of understanding. He says, you know, we go, we go, God, how many souls do you really want? And God's response is just one more, one more, one more. One more. I want one more because he wants his house to be full. So what does that mean for us now that we're sitting at the table, now that we're, we're growing in him, now that we've, we've committed ourselves to him and all the things that he wants to do? What does that mean for us, for you and for me? And I think looking at this passage, there's really three essential truths that motivate us to bring people to the table. Because you realize as Jesus is telling this parable, there are people that are represented. So the master, of course, is, is the Lord. And the servants are who? Us. We're the ones that were already there. We're the ones that were helping prepare the feast. We're the ones that were a part of that. Now, here's what's great about God's economy. Normally, servants at that time, their job was to be at the feast to serve the guests. The thing that's awesome about our God is we're not just the servants. We also get to sit down at the table. We get to experience these things. But there's some things that need to help us see this in a new light as we look at this concept of the table and around the table. So the first one, the first one, he expands his house. We have missed this one sometimes big time. He expands his house. A lot of times we think a, a, a program will expand God's house. A pastor will expand God's house. A, a, a certain type of situation will expand God's house. And listen, those are not bad things. Those are tools that God can use to expand his house. But the thing is, God is still the one expanding his house. If you come to me and you say, listen, I, I have this wonderful home and I like it very much, but my wife and I or my family and I, we've decided to put an addition onto the back of the house. We want a, we want a screened-in back porch. Okay? We want a screened-in back porch. Now, maybe you have the ability to do this. I do not. So if I want a screened-in back porch, I'm going to have to go hire someone to do that. I'm going to have to bring them in and say, listen, this is what I want. I want, I want this expanded. I want this shown in and big and this and that and all this sort of stuff. And what's going to happen? That individual is going to get some plans out. They're going to say, okay, here's what the cost is going to be. And I say, okay, let's do it. And then the first day they show up and they walk in and they say, okay, I'm ready. And I say, wait a minute, where's your hammer? Where's your nails? Where's your wood? Where's your saw? Oh, well, you know, those are just tools, you know, but I'm here, so it's going to happen. Listen, God uses tools to help build on his house, okay? 
But he doesn't necessarily have it look at it and go, listen, it, 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 if all you have is the tools and you don't have God, then you're not getting a house built either. So both of them work together. But we need to understand that God is the one who expands his house. God is the one who says, listen, I'm going to use these things to grow my home, to grow what I want to do. And it's very simple why God wants to do this. Because here again is where we begin to mess up a couple of things. And a lot of times, just to be honest with you, it doesn't come from out here. It comes from up here. And we begin to misunderstand why God wants his house full. Okay? So let's look at this together. Look at 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9. We know this verse. We've heard it before. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to what? Repentance. Okay, repentance. We need to see this, and we're going to see it again in just a minute. So yes, God wants everyone. God wants everybody. But he wants them to come for a particular purpose, and it's repentance. Okay? It's repentance. This is what God is wanting. He wants no one to suffer. He wants no one to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Now let's continue, because here's the thing. The next parable that Luke records that Jesus spoke is very interesting. It's in Luke 15. Some of us know this story. It's the story of the lost sheep. This is the next parable. The parable that we're in this morning is a parable. He, he speaks, and, and, but he doesn't speak in parables in the end of 14. But starting with basically chapter 15, he begins to tell a story again. And this is where we see this idea of the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And again, the one we know really well, again, the parable of the lost son. But look what Jesus says here. He, he's, he's telling us this parable, and listen to what he says, and this is in Luke 15, it'll be on your screen, or on the screen, Luke 15, 4 through 7. Listen to what it says. Jesus tells them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? So Jesus asked this question to the crowd. They're all there. What is, what's going to happen here? One sheep, one out of a hundred now, I don't know about you, but, but I, I don't know if you were a good student or a bad student in school, okay? I was, I was, when I wanted to be, I was a good student. When I didn't care, I kind of wasn't, okay? You, you know, I was kind of normal in that way. But here's the deal. If you came up to me and said, Aaron, you just took a test, you just turned in a book report or whatever it might be, and you got 99 out of 100, I've been like, yes, sir, take that every day of the week. That's what happens here. Okay, here we are. Oh, well, 99 out of 100. That's, that's not bad, man. You know, I'll take that. But he says, what would, what would people do? What would, the, what would the shepherd do? And listen, he says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives... He will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Now look at verse 7. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who what? 
repents. Repents. And returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now let's remember something here, okay? There is rejoicing over the 99 that are still there. I remember as a child being like, oh man, God's not celebrating me because I didn't blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. There's rejoicing. And here's the bottom line. Every single one of us, if we've turned over to Jesus, we have been lost and we have been found. You know what that means? Every one of us got a bigger party. Every one of us, when God said they came home and they found me and found you, there was more rejoicing for me at that moment than you. But here's the thing. They're still rejoicing for the 99. Just in that moment, there becomes more rejoicing. Why? Because it's found? Yeah, I think so. But Jesus takes it one step further. He says there's more joy over one lost sinner who repents. Repents. What does this mean? And why are you harping on this? Okay? Why, are, why is it? Yeah, God, God wants his house full. Isn't it enough just to say that? You know what? Because here's what I believe. I believe there are a lot of houses that are full, but there's not a lot of repentance in those houses. You see, God doesn't want his house full just so he can pat himself on the back and go, wow, look how many people showed up today. He wants his house full because he wants repentance to take place. He wants people to come to know him in a greater way. He doesn't need a crowd. He needs a people that are going to repent and understand and grow and follow him. Amen. There's a difference, folks. And you know, I'm honest. Who's typically the ones that messes it up? It's this, this people that I set up here, like me. We tend to say, boy, if we just get more people, then we could do this, that, or that. And listen, listen, we can over-spiritualize it, and I've seen every pastor try to. Well, numbers matter. Of course numbers matter. Because every person matters. Blah, 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 blah. I get it. I understand. I'm not saying numbers aren't important. But the numbers become important because of the repentance, not because there's rear ends in the seats. Amen. That's right. Listen, I can get you a crowd. You give away enough stuff, there'll be people who show up here on Sunday. But if there's no repentance there, all we've done is got a group of people together. God wants repentance. God wants his house full because he wants people that know him and experience him and are growing in him. Now, are you saying, Aaron, does that mean that anybody? No, no, don't, 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 don't misunderstand me. I want, I want the unsaved. I want people that are journeying, trying to figure Jesus out. That, but, 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 but the motive has to matter. The motive is important. The motive is to see souls find Jesus. The motive is to help people discover Jesus and grow in Him. That's the mission. Not can we fill all the seats. Because you know what, quite honestly, God's not necessarily interested in seats being full if people aren't growing and coming to know Him. That's what He wants. That's His desire. That's what we have to be about. That's why God wants his house full. That's why he wants his house full. But listen, it goes even one step further. Look at Matthew 16. 
In Matthew 16, the context is, is Jesus is asked to the disciples, you know, who am I? Who do you say I am? And, Jesus, and Peter responds, man, you are God. You are God's son. You are the Messiah. And Jesus basically responds and says, man, on that statement of faith, on that understanding, he says this in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this confession, on this idea, on this concept, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. God's going to do it. Will we partner with him? Yes, we're going to see in a moment how that happens. But we need to understand that God is going to expand his house and he expands it because he wants people to come and know him. He wants people to repent and follow him and grow in him. So important that we understand that. Number two, so he expands his house. Number two, we are to enlarge his table. We are to enlarge his table. I don't know about you, but I grew up um, with, with a, a dining room. I, I know they're not as popular, I guess, in houses today, or maybe they're a little bit different, but we had, a, growing up, we always had a dining room. You know, we had the kitchen and a little area, and then we had the dining room, and we didn't go in the dining room very often. I mean, that was mom's pretty area. That's, you know, she had the, the, the china hutch with all the fancy china that we never touched. You know, I never understood that. But you know what I mean? And, and, and we would go in there for special occasions, you know. And I remember, you know, whether it be Thanksgiving or a birthday or whatever. But, but I don't know about this, but mom's table had this amazing ability. It grew. You know? It grew. And, I, and as I got older, I began to understand how this happened because it was usually my job to go get them. And basically, my, and this would happen at my grandparents' house or my mom's house. And they'd say, say, Aaron, go get the leaves. I don't know if that's what they're called. Is that right? I don't, I think that's what I remember. Like, leaves, go get the leaves of the table. And so I would, I would go into the, the closet and pull out basically sections of table. And I'd pull them apart and put the leaf in and, you know, and all of a sudden the table that could fit, you know, six could now fit 128, you know, whatever it might be. Okay? And I, I mean, you know, and so it was like, ooh, you know. And I remember, seriously, I remember being a child and like my ta the table was always one way and like walking in at times and maybe I didn't, you know, I didn't know dad would, you know, had done this or whatever. And I'm like, you, know, you ever like look at something and go, wait a minute, like, Am I losing my mind? Did that table just grow? You know? And that was always funny is after everything was over, it shrunk again, you know? But God has called us to be kind of like I was at that age. He says, listen, listen, I'm going to build my house, but I want you to expand the table. I want you to be willing to put a couple leaves in. I want you to be willing to do some things that are going to allow people a little bit more room to sit down and experience me, to have that moment of repentance, to have that moment of understanding who I am as their father, that I am a good father and that my plans are perfect. Look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. I love this verse. These are some great verses, but this is what it says. All the believers, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many, uh, many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. 
They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those that were in need. Verse number 46. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met at homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Once again, we see people at the table. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Now look at verse 47. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who just happened to show up, right? No. Those who were being saved. What is happening here in Acts 2, 42 through 47? It's quite simple. In my opinion, it's quite simple. What we're seeing here is people who understand what their job is and what God's job is. God is going to be the one who expands his house. He's the one that's going to get them, uh, bring to them and use the Holy Spirit to draw them to himself. But the people understand their job is to expand the table. Their job is to make sure that they know, hey, there's a place for you at our table. Because you know what? There's a lot of people who've had a lot of church hurt who feel like, you know what? I'm not invited to that table. I don't belong at that table. And here's what happens, okay? I want you to think back to every, every bad, cheesy 1980s teenage you know, movie that you ever saw. Or at least to how I always saw them. And there's the new kid. The new kid. And you know what? It's always at lunchtime, isn't it? You know why it's at lunchtime? Because you usually have signed seating in class, you know. And so they go and they get their lunch and they got the tray. And they walk in. And the question is, where do I sit? And you know what? All the kids are crowded around and they're looking. No, there's no room here. I mean, how many movies have you seen where the kid maybe even gets on the bus and, you know, taken? You can't sit here. And so here's the child, and they're, they're walking around. They just want a place to sit. But no, you know what? You, you, you can't sit here. You're not this. You're not that. You're not. Nobody knows who you are. Yeah, there's, there's no room. You know, I'm very passionate about this because I think that in our spiritual world, there are people that are walking around with their lunch trays and they're just going, I just want a place to sit. I know I'm not perfect. I know I got my issues. I know I got stuff. I know I'm broken. Isn't there any church anywhere that'll just say, we got a seat for you. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter that you're broken. It doesn't matter that you still have things that you don't understand and can't figure it out. You know what? We will make room for you. Because a lot of people, you know, like, you know, this is who, who we are and this is what we do. And we're not interested in making room for people like that. Heaven forgive us. Our job is to make room. Our job is to be that person who, even if they're halfway across the lunchroom, stands up and says, listen, there's room for you here. With all your junk, with all your stuff, because that's what our Jesus has done for us. That's what he has done for you and for me. And here's the thing you need to understand. I'm going to get it real simple. I'm going to get it really easy for you to understand. Every time you do life together, 
you're expanding the table. Every time you give financially to this church or to missionaries, you are expanding the table. Anytime you serve, you are expanding the table. Anytime that you pray for people, you are expanding the table. Anytime you love a child, you are expanding the table. Anytime you care for someone that is hurting, you are expanding the table. Anytime you open your home, you are expanding the table. Anytime you mentor someone or help them, you are expanding and enlarging God's table. And there's hundreds of others. The issue here is not being able to expand it. The issue is not finding a way to expand it. The issue is, are you going to be willing to do so? Because unfortunately, a lot of us have this attitude at times that, you know what, it's us four and no more. Our table is full. You can't fit. You don't fit. And some of us need to kind of understand that, you know what, listen, if your table is too small, you better go get some leaves. You better be willing to go get some leaves and put it in the table and say, and here's the deal, guys. Here's, here's the thing that I think if God wants his house full and, and there's always room for one more, that means that maybe at times as the, as the table gets full up, I mean, there's only so many leaves, you know what I mean? You're, you're going to kind of maybe have to sit there a little bit, a little crowded. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, it's, it's not fun to eat like this, you know? It's not. But the question becomes, what's more important? Your comfort or the salvation of souls? What's more important, what you want or what God's desire is that his house be full, that there's one more that needs to experience his love, grace, and mercy? It's simple. We need to be willing to do whatever we need to do to enlarge the table so people can come and meet Jesus. Whatever. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever is necessary. Why? Because souls matter, and they matter for eternity. They do. They matter for eternity. And so when you, you know, listen, there's going to be a community group that meets tonight. Listen, when you guys come together and you meet, guess what you're doing? You're expanding the table. You know, when you walk up to that little child, you put your arms around him and say, man, I'm proud of you. Man, I love you. I know I'm not your dad. I know I'm not your uncle. I know I'm not, but you know what? I'm proud of you. I'm praying for you. You're expanding the table. When you buy a little boy's shoes, you're expanding the table. When you bring granola bars for kids that are never going to know your name on this earth, you're expanding the table. Sometimes we make it so difficult and so complicated when really it's just showing God's love to others. It's following his plan. But listen, we got to be willing we got to be willing to do it. The final thing. So, so really the first thing is in some ways what God does. And these last two are kind of things that we do, obviously. And the third one is really simple. We are to extend the invitation. Okay? We are to extend the invitation. We talked about this maybe a month or so ago. And we used this scripture. But I just, I just love it. I just think it's such a good, powerful piece of scripture. And it's in John 1. 
John 1. Look at it with me. John 1, verses 45 through 46. It says, Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now let's stop here for a second and let's dissect a little bit what Philip is communicating to Nathanael. Nathanael is, is, is not being told by Philip that this is just a really good guy. He's not being told this is just simply a prophet. He's not being told, hey, here's this guy, he's pretty cool, and he, he teaches neat and all this sort of stuff. No, 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 no. What he's being communicated here is basically this is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. This is not just some guy. This is the guy that Moses wrote about. This is the guy the prophets talked about. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the guy who is going to do some amazing, incredible things. This is who he is. Now we see it and go, oh, well, the prophets and Moses, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, this is deeper. This is huge. But look at Nathaniel's response. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He insults Jesus. And he insults him knowing who Philip just said he was. Okay? I mean, this is, this is pretty rude, to be flat honest with you. A lot of times we don't extend the invitation because we're afraid of this type of response. Now look what Philip does. Philip doesn't argue. He doesn't say, how dare you? He simply says this. Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. He simply extends an invitation to come and see. You know what I found? Your job, my job, isn't to get him saved. My job, your job, isn't to set him free. It's, it, it's not. It, it's not to save their marriage. It's not to save their family. It's not to do, it's not our job. Our job is to introduce them to the one that can do all those things and do them extremely and exceedingly well. That's your job. That's my job. Just come and see. You know what I found? I'll be honest with you. Like, if you're not willing to look at people and say, come and see, I, I don't know if you really know the greatness and the amazingness of Jesus. I don't know if you really understand what Jesus has done for you. I mean, when you extend that invitation to come and see, basically what you're saying is this, what God has done in me, I want him to do in you. I want you to experience that. I want you to see that. I want you to have your life changed like my life was changed. I want you to see my Jesus and let him transform you and transform your life. Come and see. You notice, you notice that, that, that Philip isn't a PR man for Jesus. You're at the, you know? He doesn't say... Come and see the man who's performed miracles. Come and see the man who has made the lame, the lame walk and the blind see. Come and see the one that will die for you. When I was a kid, on Sundays, there was always monster truck commercials on TV. You know? I don't know if you experienced those. 
But it was like, come down you down to Bartle Hall. See, 400-foot fire-breathing robot. You know, it's like that's what I feel sometimes Christians feel like they have to be. You know, come see the great Jesus. Whoa, 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 new body. He'll make fire come out of your hair. Whoa. We have a smoke machine. Whoa. Just come and see Jesus. Come see Jesus. Jesus is so great, and he's so awesome, and he's so incredible, and he loves us through our stuff so well, and he's, he, he takes broken things and makes them new again. He takes dead things and makes them all. Jesus doesn't need a 400-foot fire-breathing robot. All, he, all we need is him. Come and see. Listen, you don't, you don't say, come and see our pastor. Good Lord, don't do that. You don't say, come and see our building. No, no, no. Mm-mm. Come and see Jesus. You know, because here's what we do. Let's be honest, okay? We go, okay, I want to invite so-and-so. They need to be here. They need to experience. And listen, here's the thing too, okay? We, we invite them to give them an opportunity to sit down at the table, okay? There's nothing special about a service. You can invite people uh, to experience Jesus in your home. And, uh, don't, don't misunderstand where we're going here, okay? This is just a, a tool that God uses to help people have a seat and, and begin to experience him. Okay, and begin that journey or continue that journey with Jesus, okay? But, but here's the thing. We, we tend to have that situation or that thought in our minds where it's like, okay, um, I want to invite them, but, but oh boy, oh boy, that, that pastor of ours, he can go a little long. You know, Pastor Aaron, he, can, he gets a little emotional. That's uncomfortable for me like that they won't like that you know my goodness you know I don't I'm kind of afraid to bring them here and how will they respond and and you know Alan will probably scare them because Alan can be scary you know whatever okay listen when we do that and look I'm not saying that that's that we all do that. I'm, I, I've done that. I've been like, I need to invite this person, but oh my goodness, what am I speaking on this week? Will this work? Will this be bad? Will they? I do it too. We all do it, okay? But what we have to remember is we're not in that moment. We're not saying, come and see Jesus. We're saying, come and see our service or our pastor or how friendly our people are. And again, those aren't bad things. But we're inviting them not to see that. We're inviting them to come and see Jesus. The question that we should ask ourselves is this. The question that I have to ask myself, and by the way, you have to ask it too because you're a part of this, is when people come in our doors, things that come from here and things that come from there, do they have an opportunity to see Jesus? And let's be honest, sometimes we do a really good job of that and sometimes we just don't. That's the question. It's not how good the pastor is. It's not how we're doing worship now. It's not this or that. It's simple. We're inviting them to come meet Jesus. Come and see. Because here's the deal. Somebody got over their fear of all that to invite you to the table. And you go, well, Aaron, I, I grew up in church. You know what? So did I. So did I. And you know what? My mom and dad did too. You know what? But you know what? My grandparents, they didn't. Somebody had to love them enough. Somebody had to care enough about them to say to them, come, come sit down at the table. Come, come meet Jesus. Come experience him. Someone, listen, someone had to give for this building to be here. 
Someone had to sacrifice so that, that, that we could come and be here and have air conditioning and heat in the winter. There was, there was an expanding of the table for you in some way, shape, or form. And you are experiencing it and enjoying it right now as well. So will you extend it to somebody else? Or will you say, you know what, it stops with me. It stops here. I'm done. Someone extended it for you. So look, I know it's not easy, but I want to I wanna leave you with a, a little bit of something to help you, okay? Because sometimes we hear these things and like, oh my goodness, this is tough, or what do we do? Um, but I think there's some times when people may be more open to the invitation, okay? Now listen, first and foremost, we trust the Lord. We trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's always number one, okay? Got to go there. And here's what's great about that. God tells us he will put words in your mouth. It's such an unbelievable promise. But I also think there's times that maybe, you know, my, my wife has a garden and all those. There's a time when the vegetables and the fruit is ripe. It's time for picking. Okay? And I think maybe these are some times that we can be aware of. Because listen, I, in, a minute, in a minute, we're going to talk about that one that I believe God wants us to bring, invite, and so on and so forth. So in this person's life, you want to be looking maybe for these seasons. Uh, and again, be open to the Holy Spirit. But here's, here's number one. When things aren't going well, okay? When things aren't going well in their lives, that may be an opportunity or time where God is going to use those moments to help them to realize they need Him. Okay, so you sit down at, at lunch with somebody at work and they're just going, man, I just, I just, man, everything's falling apart. Everything's falling apart. This happened and that happened and blah, 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 blah. And they're just sharing. They're opening up their heart to you. Now, for them to do that, you already probably have a relationship already and that's awesome. But maybe you would be surprised in that moment how open they would be to a God that can come in and basically not necessarily calm the storm, but calm the child in the midst of the storm. So when things aren't going well, number two, when people are experiencing something new, okay? When people are experiencing something new, I know this is beginning to slow down a little bit as far as uh, our country in this area, but listen, you know, when, when, when somebody puts their house up for sale and you see a for sold sign on the house, oh my goodness, that should be like a woo and then you go up and you meet them. I know that's crazy to ask, but you know, you go up and actually meet your neighbors. And they're like, oh yeah, we just moved in from Indiana. Oh, really? Got a church? Got a home? When those new things, people are kind of looking for those things. How many times have you done that where you've moved and you've been like, oh, you know, uh, we just moved to a new area. We're looking for a church. Maybe God will use that. Maybe there's a, a, a new experience or a new situation in their lives that God wants to use. A lot of times when, when there's something new, it, it's important. It's why, honestly, in churches you usually see people show up at certain times of the year. Because it's, it's new. It's a new season. It's a new start. It's new. And people are usually open to those things. Number three, when something unexpected occurs in people's lives. They get a really bad doctor's report the car blows up and they really can't afford to fix it. There's things that they, they had planned and they had figured out and this was the plan and the plan just in, in a matter of a day just collapses. In those moments, people can be so open to the gospel. They can be so open to Jesus. And, and then the last one, this one you always have heard, you know, when holidays come around each year. 
you know, I don't know about you. You may be very upset about what I'm about ready to say, but just so you know, I believe there are 91 or 92 days until Christmas. Yes. Now, we laugh and joke and, and, and stuff like that. But, but here's the thing. People are going to be open. I'm going to tell you right now. You ready? We're going to, I know this is going to be shocking because we never do this. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service this year again. Yay. Yay. We'll have candles and carols and communion because that's what we call it every year. And so guess what we'll have? Carols and candles and communion. And if I can think of another seed, maybe candy because we'll get some of that out. I don't know. But you know what? Don't, here, here's the thing. Don't wait to invite someone to an event that they maybe be interested in. Like again, Christmas, Easter, people already got their minds on those things. Two days before. Start now. Think now. Start planning now. Because they're going to be people. Listen, I guarantee you, I promise you. There are people on Easter Sunday and, and, and around Christmas that are sitting at home going, I would really like to go to a church, but I just, no one invited me. But we can't just sit, sit there and go, oh, well, oh, 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 no, it's, it's Christmas Eve. Hey, you want to go to the Christmas Eve service? Like, no. Why do we give you things? Why did we give you peeps this year? Because I have a deal with a dentist? No. Because we wanted you to have something that you could share with your peeps and invite them. Because people are more open during those times of year. Now listen, you've got to have a relationship with them throughout the year to help this. But people are more open. And here's the thing, in all these things, relationship is so important. This isn't stand on the corner and yell at people. This is building relationships with people you work with and people in your family, your neighbors. So that when these moments come, and they will come in all of our lives people will be open to the invitation to come sit at the table. And again, you're not bringing them here and then God says, okay, fix them. God will fix them. God will save them. God will work in their lives. God will take broken things and make them all restored. Our job is simply to invite. Look, it's real simple. You are at the table today because someone at some point was willing to invite people to the table so they could have an encounter with Jesus. That's it. However God chooses to do that, we'll take it. Okay? And look, we, we can get into methods and modes and, and, you know, things that maybe worked 50 years ago, maybe they'll work today, maybe they won't. Maybe things that work now would never have worked then. This isn't about a method. We get too wrapped up in the method. It's the message. And the message is there's a seat at the table. And that seat has been given to you because of what Jesus has done. That seat was made available not because of who you are, but because Jesus said, I will lay down my life for the sheep. I will be willing to say, you know what, God? Yeah, you're a good father. Yeah, yeah, but you're also, your plans are perfect. So it's not what I want, it's what you want. And it took him to the cross. But thank Jesus, thank the Lord, it also took him to Sunday morning. And that rock was rolled away. Our job 
is to extend the invitation. As we close, I want us to go back to Luke 15. And it's interesting because if you look at Luke 15, you start to see a a pattern emerge. There is a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And what's interesting about that is there are 99 other sheep, there are nine other coins or silver coins, and there's at least one other son. God cares of the one. Because here's the thing, you were the one at one point in time. And so sometimes it can seem so big. We look at our world and how it's going and we just think there's just so much. But you know what? God cares for the one. There is a one that I believe that God wants to place in your heart and mine. Some of you know your one. Some of you have been praying and, 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 and sharing and inviting your one. Some of you don't even know who your one is, and you're going to need to figure that out. We're going to pray about it, and we're going to ask God to reveal that one to you. But I believe what the story in Scripture tells us. I believe simple things. One, there's still room at the table. And number two, our God wants his house full. I believe those things. And I believe because of those things, as servants of our master, it is our job to go to the highways and byways, find the lame, the crippled, the blind, find the religious and the one that looks normal but is hiding so much hurt and bitterness and anger and go to them and say, listen, the master's prepared a feast. I love the imagery that Scripture gives us. Jesus is not preparing a McDonald's Happy Meal. It's a feast. It's a feast. Listen, I've been to Thanksgivings, but I don't know if I've ever been to a feast. And here's what's awesome. Scripture, and Jesus tells us about this, there's going to be another feast. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And every single one of us have an invitation. The question is, are we going to go? The question is, are we going to go up to people and say, listen, there's a feast coming. You see, it's great because sometimes in Scripture we kind of go, oh, look, it's kind of metaphorical. And we can look at this. No, no, no. There is a going to be a feast. And there's a seat for everyone and I hope and I pray that you've accepted your invitation. And you're sitting down and you go, oh boy, feast time. But also you understand that there are times to get up from the table and go out and say, listen, there's a seat for you. Your world's falling apart. It's okay. I know a God that can put the pieces back together again. You feel alone. You feel, you feel broken. You feel hurt. It's okay, I know a God that can put everything back together again. 
You feel dead and alone and, and abandoned. It's okay. I know a God who, who, who gave his life for you. I know a God who says, I will stick close to you and I will stay as close as a brother. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The question is, are we going to go out and start inviting people to experience the table? Because God wants them there. God wants them there. So here's what we're going to do. As we close, here's what I I'd ask. Let's just close our eyes just to focus, okay? And like I said before, I think there are some of us here, and you, you immediately know you're one, okay? You immediately know you're one. And if that's, if that's you, that's awesome, okay? Hold on to that one, okay? But if you don't, like if, if I say who's your one, and you can't immediately say this person, that, that means you don't have a one, okay? And I believe that God wants to give you a, the, the one. Like God wants to speak it very clearly to your heart. And he's not speaking it to your heart so that you can go, oh good, I know my one. No, no, no. He's speaking it to your heart because he wants to enlarge his house. He wants people to come and experience his love, his grace, and his and repentance. And because he wants you and me to invite and enlarge his table. That's why you're being told this. Okay? But I believe that for some of us, we need to find that one. And once we know them, we're, we're to go and extend an invitation. We're there to go and love and be there and expand the table. I mean, like I said, there were so many different ways to pray for them, to, to, to be a part of, of their lives. For some of you, maybe, you know, hey, we're getting into the fall. Trees are going to start dropping leaves. For some of you, you need to expand the table by going across the street and raking your, your, your neighbor's yard. Maybe they're just too busy right now. Maybe, maybe there's situations or circumstances in their family that just prevent them from doing those simple things. Listen, that's a way to expand the table too. Winter's coming. You shovel snow, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to expand the table. But I believe that God has given you a one. And you go, Aaron, is one enough? Nope, one's not enough. But you focus in on the one, and then God gave you another one. Okay? Because remember, He He loves the one. He cares for the one. Loves the 99, loves the son that stayed, loves the 10 silver coins that weren't lost. But right now, the focus is on the one that needs to know him, that needs to sit down at the table and experience him. Thank you, Father. So God, we just come to you right now. And God, for those that already have their one, Father, I pray that you would just impress that even more in their hearts. That God, even right now as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit would just begin to reveal to them areas where they can expand the table in their lives. They can say, you know what, um, I don't know if they have anybody, you know, for, to share Thanksgiving with. We're inviting them. We're not taking no for an answer. I mean, you know, kind of have that compelling attitude, Father. And that, Father, that we would just, if we have our one, that we would just love them. And that we would understand it's not our job to fix them. It's not our job to heal them. It's not our job to save them. Our job is to simply say, come and see who can. Come meet who can.
because I know he can. But Father, there may be some of us who don't have a one. Or maybe we had a one six months ago and we never replaced our one. Whatever it might be. And Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just begin, for those that are open, begin to download that one right now into their hearts. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a, 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 a sibling. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a boss or an employee. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a student or a friend. I, it doesn't matter who it is. But Father, you have a one for every single one of us. If there's a place at the table for us, there's a place at the table for them. And help us to help them see that by the way we live our lives, by the way that we reflect who you are to them. Father, don't let us just invite them to the table. Let them see in us that we have been at the table for a good long while. And we just say, come and see Jesus. Don't come and see me. I'm not perfect. I still got my issues. I'm still letting God transform me. But come and see Jesus. Come see him. And Father, I pray for harvest. Father, I pray that once, and God, listen, I'm not even praying for harvest at this church. I'm just praying for harvest in your kingdom. But God, I pray that God, that the harvest would begin to become plentiful. That each one here would say, God come, God came, and God rescued my one. And you know what? I moved on to my next one. And God's going to work in their life. And then I'm going to move on to my next one. And then, they're, and then those individuals who have come, they're going to find their one. And things are just going to begin to multiply and grow for the kingdom of God. But God, don't let it stop with me. Don't let it stop with me. God, you're so good. You're so good. And Father, I pray... For the rest of the day, I pray for the rest of the afternoon and the rest of the week, God, that you would just literally imprint that individual in our hearts. Give us wisdom, direction, the words to speak and how you desire for us to help them come and see you so that you can change their lives. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but after this series, after I would share, I, I, I'd get a little hungry. You know, you talk about the table. And, and here's the thing. You, you kind of laugh or kind of, oh, that's kind of cheesy, Aaron, whatever you said. But, but there's something about being at the table with Jesus. Like, you know, you sit down at a table this afternoon at lunch, and I hope you get full. You know, I hope whatever you eat, it fills you up, and it's good. But the thing about sitting at Jesus' table is it's like no matter how much you eat, there just there becomes a hunger for more. There's just a hunger for more. And listen, if you're sitting at God's table, that's awesome. But never lose your hunger for him. Never miss out on the fact that, you know what, there's another course coming for you. All right?
Listen, hope you have a wonderful week. Remember, uh, out there, uh, there's stuff for the kids. The community groups are meeting. If you are meeting on Saturday, you have a Saturday community group. Remember, you're meeting, obviously, next week. But I hope you all have a wonderful week. I love you so much. Go out. Help your one. Come and see Jesus this week, all right? Awesome. Have a great week.